Well, good morning, Spring Lake family. So good to see you. If you do not know me, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors at Spring Lake, and primarily I am at the Bellevue campus, so it is so good to be downtown uh, with all of you this, this morning. So looking forward to what God has to say to us as we wrap up our series this morning entitled Living Differently. As we've been going through the book of 1 Peter together, looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to live life uh, in, in a world that's that's broken, and, and, and oftentimes as followers of Jesus, um, where it's, it's difficult, and, and what it means to suffer and to do so well uh, for the glory of God, looking at uh, over the last couple of weeks how many times suffering is mentioned through the book of First Peter. And this morning, uh, we wrap up uh, this series with a sermon titled, uh, Help is on the Way, and I want to encourage you to turn with me to First Peter chapter 5 uh, this morning. We are looking at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 11, if you want to turn there or look on your device, and we will wrap this up together. Here's what Peter says. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. Under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good news, right? Hey, let's, let's start by praying together this morning. Father, uh, we pray for our time in your word that through it, God, that you would be um, proclaimed God, that you would be glorified as your word is proclaimed, as we are attentive to what you have to say, and then, God, as we live out uh, the application of what your word says. And so, God, this morning, we pray that you'd bring encouragement, that you would sharpen us, that you would renew our focus, that you would renew our minds, um, that you would renew our resolve uh, to live for you. And, God, I pray this morning that you would encourage each of us right where where we're at with what needs to be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we look at this, help is on the way. Looking at throughout this passage, we see that God will come through in the end. God's going to come through in the end. How important that is for us to hear today. Regardless of what kind of circumstances you're going through in life, regardless of what you came in with, what kind of baggage this morning, the reminder that God is going to come through in the end. Ask yourself this, what difference do guaranteed results make for you? 
You know, when there is something that is guaranteed, it's meant to limit the anxieties going into it. You know, there's certain things that you'll see offered to you where there's a money-back guarantee, where you are supposed to make the decision because you know that even if it doesn't end up like you intended it to, hey, you can receive your money back, where there's guaranteed results. It's meant to limit the risks that go into making a decision. So we ask ourselves, well, what kind of guarantees are there for the follower of Jesus? On one hand, we look at life and we say, well, our, our health is not guaranteed. Our, our happiness is not guaranteed on, on this side of eternity. Our safety is not guaranteed. And yet, there is an immense guarantee here that God will come through in the end. What is so important this morning, you guys, is that as we look at this together is that it's not my word saying that God is going to come through and so you should believe it. It's God's word saying that he is going to come through and, and so we should believe it. The fact that we see here that the victory is assured. Here's the point that Jesus secured for us a victory that we can never win in ourselves. Uh, it's through the life that Jesus lived, living perfectly, honoring his Father perfectly, obeying perfectly, and then dying the death that we each deserve. The, the fact that Jesus bore the penalty for our sin, our disobedience uh, against the holy God, Jesus willingly took that upon himself, dying on our behalf, and then he rose again, giving us victory uh, over sin, over death, over evil, so that we, when we put our trust in Jesus, can share in that victory as well. Now, now, just think about this, when, when your favorite team wins the game, how excited you get, even though you did nothing to contribute, right? You can say, well, I was, I was on the couch, I was cheering, you know, I, I, I was eating my chips and, and, and dip, and I was, I was supporting them. But regardless, even though you had nothing to do with the victory, what happens when your team wins? Afterwards, you jump around, and you're saying, we won, Right? Even though it wasn't anything that you personally did, you shared in the victory uh, of that team. Likewise, in relationship with Jesus, there is a shared victory that we have. We see throughout um, this passage the impending breakthrough of God. The, the fact of God coming through in, in verse 1, we see that there is a, a glory that is going to be revealed. In, in verse 4, we see when the chief shepherd ap appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In, in verse 6, we see that there is a, a, a lifting up in due time of those that humble themselves uh, before God. In verse 10, we see that God will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God is going to come through. God is totally dependable. You know, there, there's something about a child, about the faith of a child, that allows them to take incredible risks. Uh, my wife and I have four daughters who, who are now teenagers, but when they were younger... Our, our second oldest um, used to be pretty daring. In, in fact, there would be times I'd be walking at the bottom of the stairwell, and all of a sudden I would hear her call me, Daddy, and I would turn around to already see her in the air from the top of the steps. And at that point, all you can do is catch, 
right? If, if, you, can't, if you can't catch, it's not going to end up very well. And, and yet she had such a faith that regardless, even if I wasn't looking, that she could call my name and that I was going to catch her. She didn't wait until I was ready. She just left because she trusted that her dad was going to come through. You see, we have a dad that is going to come through. First Peter uh, assures us of that, that we have a heavenly father who is trustworthy, who is faithful, who is true, that every leap of faith is completely worth it because God does not disappoint. God does not fail. Even in the midst of suffering, he is faithful and good and true. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, for since God takes away all our goods and our life through many tribulations, it is impossible for the heart to be calm and to bear this unless it clings to better goods. That is, united with God through faith. So, so again, the, the picture of being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that life is always great. We've been seeing that through the book of 1 Peter, is that at times living for Jesus is very difficult, that there's going to be costs, that there's going to be people that look at you differently, that treat you differently, that see you as just kind of crazy. And there's going to be costs attributed to following Christ, but it is entirely worth it. When we think about loss, this quote by Tim Keller is so powerful. He says, the idea of heaven can be a consolation for suffering, a compensation for the life we have lost. But resurrection is not just consolation, it is restoration. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauties of this life, but in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. It is a reversal of the seeming irreversibility of loss. God is going to come through in the end. God is going to come through in the end. Do not lose hope. It is a certain victory that we have because of Jesus. And so what difference does that make? If we look at the end of the story, we know how it ends. We know how the last chapter goes. How does that impact the chapters that are being written out before? What is our role? What role are we playing knowing the end in mind? I mean, if you knew that your heavenly father was going to catch you as you took that leap, what difference would it make? How many steps would you choose to go up knowing that your holy heavenly father is going to take care of you? So the fact that God will come through in the end makes a difference. So here's where it goes. What does that mean? First of all, to lead and follow like Jesus. I'm seeing that in verse 1 through the first part of verse 5. As he is addressing elders, the fact that good leadership is critical to a healthy church. 
Uh, It's so important that we understand um, what the role of godly leadership is within uh, the church so that not only for those that are leading are doing so faithfully and effectively, but then also those that are under the leadership, that they are handling it well also, that they are living in a God-glorifying way in the position that they're in. And so here we see Peter addressing uh, the leadership in verse 1, to the elders among you. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you understand um, the concept of elders. If you're new uh, to the church, this sounds kind of weird. It sounds kind of like Lord of the Rings, you know, like this council of elders, you know. What is that all about? You know, you might think of an elder, okay, that's just somebody that gets discounted coffee at McDonald's. You know, what, 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 is, an, what is an elder? And, and so as we look at biblically the, the role of an elder, it's one that is appointed in leadership uh, over the church. They serve in leadership. And uh, in terminology, it's uh, interchange with the term bishop or, uh, or also uh, presbyter or um, also what we would refer to as pastor. Uh, pastor literally is um, to shepherd. So looking at what it means to shepherd is to pastor. And so elders here are given the role of shepherding the flock, uh, of taking care of God's people. And so some churches use the word elder and pastor interchangeably. Uh, in, in our culture, we would look at pastor as oftentimes we refer to them as, okay, those are the, the vocational guys. Those are the guys that are in it full time, and then elders are the volunteer. But both aspects are critical uh, to the lifeblood uh, of the church. And so what is Peter's charge here to the elders? He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them. See, this is a, a great responsibility that is not to be taken lightly. Uh, we, we see here that um, ultimately ownership uh, of the church is God's. It's not that God is franchising things out. It's that this is his church. These are his people, and he entrusts leadership to take over, uh, to take care of the church take care of the people as it comes to providing, providing for, feeding, uh, protecting, admonishing, encouraging, leading, helping set direction under the direction uh, of God and his word. See, the main goal of elders is to direct the church to the life-giving hope of Jesus so that people would live lives that are growing to be more faithfully like Jesus. It's not just a matter of, okay, elders just keep order and they just structure events and, you know, plan when services are going to happen, that kind of thing. No, they are to point faithfully to Jesus so that what we are teaching is biblically accurate, so, so that it's not false, so that it leads to health, so that it points people to Jesus, so that it admonishes people to live like Jesus, so that um, it is corrective when, uh, when people are choosing their sin over choosing to live for Jesus, getting involved and encouraging people, hey, that's not good for you. That's, that's not going to help you. That's not going to lead you to hope and to life. You need to get rid of that. And so how important the role of 
elder is. See, Christian leaders, elders, pastors, teachers are only as effective to the degree to the degree that they get people's eyes, trust, and dependence on Jesus. See, it's not about the pastor at all. It's not about leadership at all. It's about Jesus. That's what it's all about. So shepherding then is making sure that there is this, this healthy diet of spiritual truth that is centered on Jesus alone and doing all that they can to encourage that growth. See, it's not even about getting people to really like church. It's getting people to know Jesus. It's highlighting Jesus above everything else more than the name of a church. It's about Jesus alone. See, a faithful shepherd also protects uh, from that which would harm the church, from false teachers, from false teaching, from wolves that would desire to tear the church apart. You see, for a, a shepherd, you don't, you don't play around with wolves when they are attacking your sheep. You don't say, well, we're just going to see if they get along. No, a, a shepherd, you, you shoot a wolf. Right? You, you, you take care of it. You don't, you don't tolerate it. Okay, now I'm not actually saying you, you shoot people that are false teachers. I just, I just want to be clear there. We're not saying you actually shoot people. But we're saying we, we don't put up with any false teaching. Now, now think about this, just as far as, as we think about what it looks like to entrust responsibility to someone else. How many of you have ever had a babysitting job? Or you entrusted babysit, a, a babysitter with your kids? Now, now, you know that when you are given those directions, that there are certain things, the parents are the ones that set the standards, uh, the parents are the ones that set the rules, and you are there to enforce the desire of the parents. You, you don't take over the role of the parents. In other words, if you are babysitting little Johnny and he starts calling you daddy or mommy, you know that's not cool because you're not there to take the place. If, if the parent says, okay, we want them in bed at 8 o'clock, and, and, and no sugar tonight, no sugar. But you decided, you know what, well, little Johnny was having so much fun. And, and there was so much Halloween candy left over, and he didn't want to go to bed. And, and so I just let him stay up till 10.30. You know there's, there's going to be problems, right? As a parent, you're going to have issues with that babysitter that you entrusted your child to their care. In, in the same way. In the same way for leadership within the church. These are God's kids. These are God's people. Entrusted to the care of those that are to look after. But never to take the place of God himself. So within this, within this address that he is giving to the elders. The fact that God's people have been entrusted to them. The heart and the role of the elders, we see that described in verses 2 and 3. And also, for more on this, you can see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the fact that they are to shepherd willingly, that they are to serve eagerly, and that they are to follow Jesus personally. 
You see, the examples of leadership should direct our focus and our attention to Jesus. It, it should make us desire to follow Jesus more. The fact that each of the men that serve in these capacities, that it should be a God-given desire to serve. Right? We see that in verse 2, that it shouldn't be a matter of, you know what, we've just been working on this guy, working on this guy, twisting his arm, twisting his arm, and he finally relented, and he's going to serve. That's not good. You want it to be someone that has the desire to serve God in, in this capacity. Now, having the desire to serve in itself is not the litmus test. Because you don't just want warm bodies any more than you would just want anybody that would say, hey, I'll watch your kids for you. I'll watch your kids. You know, you're going to have like some background checks. You're going to do something because you don't want just anybody with a desire in that role. In the same way, we have to be careful of those that would do it for the wrong desire, for selfish desire, what he warns about here. Examples of selfish desires, thinking about uh, what's in it for them as opposed to what's in it for the church, for God's people. How it makes them look as opposed to how it brings uh, glory to God. The desire to be seen in a particular light that is advantageous to them but is not centered on Jesus has no place in Christian leadership. It's not the place for power trips. It's not the place just to, to kind of climb some kind of totem pole of, uh, of hey, I've, I've arrived. Because ultimately we see that uh, the heart of, uh, of leadership should be service. That as Jesus looked at being great in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, it was about learning to be the servant of all. And so there's, there's no place just for dictating, but the role of a shepherd is to lead, to guide, to correct, to protect, and to nurture. You ever see those pictures where they show presidents like before they went into office and then after they, they left office like in four years or eight years. You're like, oh my goodness, they aged like 30 years. And you think, why would anybody ever do that, right? It's like crazy, man. If, if, you, if you care about, you know, your health or what you look like, don't become president. You know, how many of us would be like, forget that, don't want to do that. I know for me personally, now, in, in ministry now, there's been some challenges uh, over 20 years that I've seen of, uh, of difficulty and, and hard times because we're people and, and we all have our own sinful tendencies, even as followers of Jesus. And, and sometimes we look at things and say, why would you want to go into leadership? Why do that? Well, first of all, because it is God appointed. It is something that God leads your heart to. But then also there is incentive here that there is eternal reward for those who do so faithfully. See, it is so important for us to remember that when we live for Jesus, there is an end goal in mind that goes beyond just what's happening on Sunday morning. That goes beyond just what's going to happen this week and the results, like how you parent, you know, well, we think if you parent well, you have good kids. If you work hard, you get a raise. You know, all these different things that uh, on this side we look at, if you do this, then this is going to happen. But what we have to live with is the end goal in mind. 
The fact that living faithfully for Jesus brings about eternal reward. And so within this as well, for those uh, that serve well, there is an unfading award. You see, there is so much emphasis, so much emphasis on good leadership today. You know, we can read books about it, there's seminars, there's conferences, there's blogs, there's podcasts, there's so many different things that you can hear about good leadership. But equally important to that is good followership. See, it's not only about leading. If we only look at leading, we become critics of how our leaders are doing. I don't like that you made this decision. I don't like you're doing this. I think you should have done this. Well, if you would have done this, then blah, 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 blah. And it's easy to take shots at leadership. But what is so important here is that good followership is equally important. As we see in verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. In other words, those that are not in positions of leadership, hey, make sure that you are submitting to, being supportive of. Because when people lead and when those follow, if God is the one that is directing the leadership and then also those that are following the leadership are obeying God in that, there is great unity and God is glorified. The importance that not only there be good leadership, but good followership. Secondly, the, the fact that God is going to come through in the end, it means also that we should be humble and trust God. The posture of the follower of Jesus is one of humility. I mean, just think about this. Just coming to Jesus involves humility. Because we have to admit in ourselves that we can't fix us. We, we don't have within us the cure for what is broken. We might have tried so many different things. We try to turn over a new leaf. We try to make better choices. And yet we realize, there's a point we realize that before God we've broken the standard. And there's nothing that we can do to fix ourselves. It's a matter that we have to come to Jesus realizing that he alone can fix what is broken within us. That he alone is the one that can save us. That he alone is the one that brings about forgiveness. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can achieve. It's something that we must receive. And so the fact that um, our life with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus begins out of a place of humility. And we never leave that position. In other words, it's not a matter of we humbly receive Jesus and then we stand up and we go about our way. Now we continue to live humbly and follow Jesus. And that impacts our relationships with one another. And we see here that there is really good incentive to walk humbly in relationship with one another. Uh, looking at verse 5, really good incentive that God opposes the proud. And so if you want to be on the same page as God, humble yourself. And God has a way of humbling us anyway, doesn't he? God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Another incentive, verse 6, is that when we walk humbly, ultimately it is God who will personally elevate us. It will be God that will personally 
take us by the hand and, and lead us so that it's not something that we have to try to do for ourselves, but, but that humility is a reflection of where we place our trust. Now, some would say, well, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and it's tough. And you know what? If, if I live humbly, people are going to walk all over me. If I walk humbly, what is that going to look like? I mean, I, 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 I'm not you know, doing everything that I can. What's going to happen? And yet, the reminder that our strength does not come from our own efforts, but from the one who lives within us. When we live with a humble spirit, we are ultimately dependent uh, upon God. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle. But the encouragement in living humbly is that even within our anxieties that we might have, well, if I'm living humbly, well, then what about this? What about this? I mean, any of you have all those questions? Well, what about this? What about this? What if? What if this? What if this? What's he saying? Cast all your anxieties upon him. I mean, imagine that, guys. Is that God doesn't take our anxieties. Okay, God, I'm, I'm giving you this and this and this. That thing about Friday, that, that too. And my kids and all of this and all of this and all of this. And God never buckles. God never buckles. Instead, what he's saying is, keep it coming. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. I got that. Keep it coming. All of it. All of it. All of it. All of it. Don't hold back. No. That too. That, that too. Give that to me. God takes it all and never buckles. Cast all of it upon him because he cares for you. Living a life of faith means choosing to trust God in, in all things. Any area of worry or concern just serves as another reminder that God has us. So the next time you start freaking out about something, instead of looking at it as the issue that you are freaked out about, Use that as the opportunity to say this too. God has this too. Still, he never fails. So don't worry, cast all your anxieties upon him. Thirdly, remember and resist the real enemy. We see that in, in verse 8 through 11. Remember and resist the real enemy. Years ago... Um, my wife Stacy and I were asleep, and I had one of those very vivid dreams. Uh, one, of the, one of those kind of dreams that is so incredibly real that it just stirs you. And in my dream, what had been happening is we had been taking a hike, and for whatever reason, we were too close to the edge of a cliff, okay? I, I don't know why. It was a dream, okay? It, it was a dream. And, and she slipped off the edge of the cliff, and I grabbed her, and, and I had her hand, and I'm holding on to her as she's dangling over this cliff. The only thing that was keeping her from falling off this cliff was me holding her, having all her weight, just trying to pull her up, pulling her from certain death. Now, here's the thing, is that it was only a dream. But in reality, what had happened, because this dream was so real, I had reached over to her and grabbed her around the neck. And so I'm clutching her 
in my sleep, not wanting to let go. So what happens to her? She wakes up. Somebody's choking her. So she starts swinging. She starts swinging away. Okay? So all of a sudden, I'm asleep. And somebody's hitting me. And so right before I realize what is happening, before I'm awake, I start clutching a little harder. So I'm choking her out. She's beating me up. And then we both come to, and it takes us about 10 minutes to kind of figure out what happened. Crazy. She's like, you were choking me. Well, you were hitting me. The fact is, is that because we were both asleep, it kept us from realizing what reality was. The, the fact here, what, what we see here is the, to remember that there is an enemy, and he tells us to be alert and of sober mind. See, what is so important for us is to realize what can happen when we are not awake. When we are not alert, it has us attacking the wrong things. It has us going after the wrong things. That a lot of effort can be exercised, but it's wasted energy. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, it tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here in verse 8, we see, be alert and of sober mind. The, the fact here that there is a very real enemy who roams around looking for whom he can devour, looking to destroy lives. You see in verse 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what's very clear here is that Satan is not just some concept. He's not just some force. He's not just some dark power or idea. He is personal. He is created. He is limited power. He is limited in influence, and he is limited by time. See, God and Satan are not just polar opposites that are co-equal. Satan is created, and Satan stands judged. And while he is dangerous and a deceiver, we need not fear him. We need not fear him. Although he desires to destroy, ultimately he is limited. And so why do we not need to fear Satan? Because he can be resisted. He's not all-powerful. 1 John 4, 4 says this, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the means of resisting him is standing firm in our faith, which is centered on Jesus. Don't have to be afraid of Satan because he can't do whatever he wants to do. The way of standing firm is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the only one that makes demons cry. Just look at the Gospels as they cry out. And so how do we stand against him? We submit ourselves, James 4, 7 says, to God. We resist the devil and he will flee. See, when we stand firm and resist him, the devil flees. See, in all of these things that can bring challenge, that can be hard God is going to come through. God has the final say. And what he's been encouraging through the letter of 1 Peter is to stay faithful. That in the end, God is going to come through. And what we see in verse 10, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, 
and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.